This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and I will begin reading in verse 26. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, What is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus And found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged him that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you this morning uh, recognizing just how much you've done for us. Father, it's because of Jesus that we gather. It's because of all that he did. It's because he came to this earth. It's because he lived a perfect life. It's because he did not sin. Because he went to the cross and took our punishment and because he rose again from the dead, that is the reason that we gather to worship. The reason we gather to glorify you because you are worthy and because you have done so much for those of us who are in Christ, and we praise you for that. And I pray that today, as we are gathered, that you will continue to reveal that more and more to us, that we would understand just how much we've been saved from, just how dark our sin was, just how lost we were, that we may not have been filled with uh, many demons like this man. Lord, we have been bound by our sin, but you have set us free, and for that we should rejoice and we should praise your name. So God, I pray that even as we continue this service today, that you would help us to glorify you. Help us to respond in gratitude for all that you've done for us. Lord, we recognize that you care deeply for us, 
that you love us not just when we're gathered here to worship you, but every day, every moment of our lives. And we pray that as we are encouraged here today, that as we are built up, that it would last beyond the time that we're in this building, that we would go from here and that we would live it out, that we would live lives of gratitude. Lord, I pray that every area of our lives would be affected by the gospel of Jesus Christ and what you've done for us. Lord, I pray for those who are, who are struggling, who are suffering in various ways. Lord, it may be from health issues. It may be from recovering from health issues. It may be something that is so deep down inside that nobody else knows what the struggle is, but you do. So God, I pray for comfort for those who are hurting. I pray for deliverance for those who are struggling under the power of sin. God, we pray that you would provide the healing that only you can. Even this morning, as we sit under the preaching of your word, I pray that you would apply those words to our hearts, that you would convict us of the things that we need to be convicted of, that you would uh, build us up and encourage us where we, are, where we are down, where we're forgetting the gospel, where, where we are uh, relying on anything apart from you. Lord, help us this morning to, to be shaped to be molded into the image of Christ. I pray that you be with Pastor Aaron as he preaches. I pray that his words would be exactly those that we need to hear this morning and that you would apply them in every way to us, to our hearts. God, would you be glorified in absolutely everything that happens here. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning, First Pres. Thrilled to be with you. If you have your copy of God's Word, if you would open it there or leave it open to Luke chapter 8. We're dealing with verses 26 through 39. Now, it might come as a shock to you, but as a kid, I kind of nerded out on infomercials. I did. I, I was always really taken by the before and after effect. You know, there would be uh, a, a, a gymnast or somebody who would come in like a string being, and before you knew it, he was built like uh, Hulk Hogan. It was just amazing to see the before and after effects. You know, there was the guy who couldn't put the top on the Tupperware, and all of a sudden he got a new gadget, and now he could, he could do it all day long, and he had a big smile on his face. I was always blown away by the change that occurred. It went something like this, you know, try, tried this diet, or I did these exercises, or I took this pill, and my life was forever changed. There's something about the effects of a changed life that grabs our attention. In the court of public opinion, a changed life really does matter. That's why TV and commercials capitalize on the before and after effect. Well, as true as that is in the physical world, it's also true in the spiritual world. John Newton, a former slave ship captain, in his hymn, Amazing Grace, writes the words of his change. He says, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear, the hour I first believed." John Newton put the power of the eternal change to a song. In our text this morning, it also tells of a powerful change. 
It offers us both a glimpse of before and after an encounter with the powerful one, Jesus Christ. So let's take a look at the change of a man that as Acts, or excuse me, as verse 39 of our text says, and all Jesus had done for him. All that Jesus had done for him. So who was this man that Jesus did so much? Well, I'd capture his life as not a wonderful life, but as a miserable life. At this moment, we see Jesus getting off the boat after calming the storm that we discussed last week. As Jesus' foot touches the shore, he's confronted by a demon-possessed man. A man who's living in humiliation, isolation, and enslavement. Verse 27 tells us, for a long time he wore no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but in the tomb, in a graveyard. And he was demon-possessed and driven by thousands of demons. As we're told that the name of the the demons possessing him is Legion, for they are many. Legion, of course, is a Roman military unit, usually comprising of 6,000 men. The description is also given in verse 29 that these demons were so strong in this man that nobody could restrain him. Not shackles, not chains. He would break through all of them. These demons brought confusion and desperation upon this man. In Mark chapter 5, which also tells the account of this story, we're told the man would cut himself with a stone, doing self-harm. This man's life wasn't wonderful. This man's life was miserable. It was humiliating isolated, enslaved. Some of you in the room understand this. You, you're captured by this story because your life mirrors in some ways the story of this man. There's a church father by the name of Cyril of Alexandria. And Cyril says this, he says, In great misery and nakedness, he wandered among the graves. He was an utter wretched, leading a disgraced, life. For some of us, that's us. We, we know that story, that, that misery, that loneliness, the enslavement. See, the demons drove this man. They drove him. They enslaved him. They owned him. They hurt him. The misery he knew. But our text tells us something. It tells us that this man fell at the feet of Jesus. That as Jesus comes in from the boat, his his foot literally touches the ground, the demon-possessed man appears. And we're told that he begs Jesus. And notice what he says in verse 28. "What What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? Now we don't know, is this the demon speaking, or is this the man? And commentators talk about it from both sides. But one thing is clear, whether it's the demons or the man, the individual speaking knows and acknowledges Jesus. Isn't that exactly what the Gospel of Luke is really all about? Who Jesus is. Luke, the author of the book that we're studying, is writing to a Gentile audience to tell them all about Jesus. And here, described by this demonic man, 
is who Jesus is, the Son of the Most High God. He declares it. Then he continues in verse 28. He says, I beg you, do not torment me. Again, we don't know if that's the demon speaking or the man, but whoever it is, they're recognizing they're not on the right team. They're recognizing that they're not a friend of God, but an enemy of God. There's an admission of the need to submit. Admission of defeat. Do not torment me. Do not torment me. The man is being led by demons, is now being led before Christ. And rather than judgment, he experiences grace. What a beautiful thing. Friends, this man is a picture of all of us who were once outside of Christ and in need of the grace of God. Being tormented by the things of this world, specifically the spirits of this world. I remember as a young man being handed a book by a friend who said, hey, I have a book, it's a, it's a fiction book, but you really should read it. It's interesting, it's got my mind moving. And they handed me the book, it's called This Present Darkness. Some of you may have read it, but one of the things it did for me is it kind of captured for me the warfare spiritually that is all around us. Because the opening scene of the book is the canopy, the curtains, if you will, are pulled back and you see the angels and demons that are at war over a town that's just going about daily life to celebrate a carnival. See, all around us are demonic influences. And these demonic influences are causing humiliation and isolation and enslavement. And it's all around us. But the question before each of us right now in this moment is this. Are we even aware of the humiliation, the isolation, and the enslavement of what it means to be outside of Christ? Not just for us, but for our neighbors our friends, our family members who don't know Jesus? Are we aware that they truly need the grace of God? That their lives are broken. They're not wonderful, even though Facebook may say a different story. Their lives are falling apart and miserable. And they desperately need the grace of God, just like us. See, that's the story of this man before. But the story of after the encounter with Christ is absolutely amazing. It's a story of a transformed life. In verse 36, the villagers call it healing. The man wasn't exercised of demons, he was healed. That's the way they describe it. He was, he was totally transformed. Friends, healing of this type only comes by the power of Jesus. Everything that happens in this text, as we will see, happens solely by the will of Christ. This demonic man is possessed by thousands of demons known as legion. 
and they come before Jesus and they submit to Jesus' authority, the demons themselves ask permission not to be cast to the abyss, but to be sent rather to the pigs. Isn't it interesting that they have to ask Jesus' permission? Jesus commands them out of the man, but they have to ask permission where they can go. Because Jesus is king. Jesus is ruler. Jesus has absolute authority. And Jesus grants the request of these demons. Look at verse 32. He gave them permission. We're told by Mark's account in Mark 5 that some 2,000 pigs were filled with demons and confusion overtook and the pigs ran down the bank into the lake and they were drowned, according to our text in verse 33. What this text does is it shows us the value Jesus has for the human life. See, this is an important point because in our day and age, people want to make humanity and animals the same level, but not in the eyes of Jesus. See, Jesus came to die for men. Understand this, if my dog, and I love my dog, we're in trouble. If my house was on fire and I could only save either one of my children or my dog... I'm not even going to think about it. I'll save the dog. Just kidding. (laughs) The tension was just too good in the room. (laughs) Of course I would save my children. Friends, recently I was driving down the road and I saw a church sign. The church sign said animal blessing. It broke my heart. You say, well, what's wrong with that, Aaron? I ask this question to myself. Why are people more concerned about their animals being blessed than their neighbors hearing the gospel? See, that seems to be the attitude of the villagers when they hear the story of the man's transformed life. The villagers are angry with Jesus because of the pigs. They're not happy about their neighbor's deliverance. They're angry at Jesus. Friends, understand this. It's through this miracle that we see Jesus as God. Jesus commands the unclean spirits to come out of the man, and they did. Jesus offers hope in his power over the gods of this world. Jesus binds Satan. This is the all-powerful Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Jesus who binds the strong man, according to Mark chapter 3, verse 27, in reference to emptying the house. That's what Jesus does. As he snatches us away from the power of the devil. Jesus' power forces all the evil powers of this world to bow down and to acknowledge him. Friends, in Jesus, there is hope. In Jesus, there is freedom. In Jesus, there is life. Last week, we saw Jesus' power over nature. And now we see Jesus' power over the spirit world. There is nothing 
in which Jesus is not in control. Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Friends, I ask you, do you know the Jesus described in this account? I'm talking about intellectually, but personally. Do you know the power of Jesus in your own life, taking you from death to life, from bondage to freedom, from hopelessness to hope? Do you know the Jesus who is stronger than isolation? The Jesus who is stronger than humiliation? The Jesus who is stronger than any type of enslavement we could ever have? Do we know the Jesus who brings about this change? For this change is a powerful change. Just look at the man. This crazy man now sits at peace in the presence of Jesus. According to verse 35, the demons are gone. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed, and he's sitting in his right state of mind. This is the perfect picture of Jesus, the perfect son of Adam. That's exactly what Luke does, is going back to the genealogy of Adam, showing that Jesus is God, but he is also man. And everything Adam lost, Jesus captures And restores. The man no longer had demons in him. The man now sits at Jesus' feet, perfectly at peace and fully clothed. Jesus took a man who was humiliated, isolated, and enslaved, and Jesus changed him. And this change is the change each and every one of us needs. That old bishop, J.C. Ryle, wrote it this way. He said, Never is a man in his right mind till he's converted. Never is a man in his right mind till he's converted. Nor is he in the right place till he sits by faith at the feet of Jesus. Nor is he rightly clothed till he puts the Lord Jesus Christ on. Friends, that's exactly the picture of the change that each and every one of us needs. And that's the change that only Jesus can bring. This change is new and powerful. This is what Paul referred to in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This powerful change is the result of Jesus and only Jesus. So friends, do you see this change in your life? Do you see a growing love for Jesus and the things that Jesus loves? Do you see a growing desire to put on holiness and to put off sin? That's the picture of the change in this man. And yet something astonishing happens. While the villagers beg Jesus to leave and Jesus gets in the boat and leaves, the man whom Jesus changed begs Jesus to go with him. It's a beautiful picture because a major part of the change that occurs in our lives is a desire to be with Jesus. There is a love and a joy of Jesus' presence and being around those who love Jesus. 
Hence Peter's words when Jesus asked, are you still with me? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you and you alone have the words of eternal life. There's a love for Jesus. And as we've already stated, Jesus is the one with authority and power. His words matter. And yet while Jesus honors the requests of the demons and puts them into pigs, and Jesus honors the requests of the villagers and gets into the boat, Jesus denies the request of the changed man to go with him. Why? As I read this, I asked the question, why? What's amazing is in the Greek, it doesn't just say that the man asked once. The man kept begging Jesus, take me with you, take me with you. I picture it as when I'm going on an errand and my youngest would beg me to take her with me. Daddy, please. How could Jesus say no? But he does. Jesus gives this command, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Friends, don't miss that this morning. It says he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. How important that is. That if we've truly been changed by Jesus' grace, that we would live in a life of gratitude for him. It's interesting. This request to go with Jesus is denied while all the other requests are answered in an affirmative. What it really shows us is the importance of staying put, of, of trusting God to testify for God right where we are. We're called to be his witnesses. We're called to be his ambassadors right in the very place he has placed us, for he is sovereign, not us. Yet too often we prefer to have a new start, seeking to leave, missing the point that by God's sovereignty he has placed us right where he has to be his witnesses. Friends, we've all been called to be missionaries for Christ. Right where we are. And you know why? Because it's right where we are, we're most well known. Our past, our struggles, our addictions. They're known to the family, the friends, and the neighbors who now give witness to the change by the power of the grace of God. Friend, the question comes, how thankful are we? Are we thankful enough to be his witness right where we are? That's the question. The man didn't go away pouting. The man said, okay. And he did his duty faithfully. He proclaimed the goodness of Jesus to the whole city. How much Jesus had done for him. He didn't go around griping because Jesus didn't take him with him. He went around proclaiming the grace of God to all. What about you? 
What about me? How do we respond? See, friends, this story is a story of change. A change only Jesus can bring. And Jesus took a man who was isolated, humiliated, and enslaved and changed his whole life. This is in itself, if you just took this story out, you have the whole gospel. You see how the people respond. Some fear him and get angry like the herdsmen and the villagers who tell Jesus, go away. We don't need you here. Well, others, like the man, they love him and obey him. Friends, one thing is clear. None of them were able to deny the power and the authority of Jesus. And neither can we. For he is king. He is sovereign. He is ruler. And not we. And friends, this is good news. Because the king came to bring about change. Just as verse 39 suggests, come and see all Jesus has done. Proclaim it through the city. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the testimony of change. We're thankful, Lord, for, in a sense, this illustration of a before and after. And yet, Lord, we see that you who are so gracious in granting requests also make it clear that you are in charge. And so, Lord, we pray that we would all submit to your will to be your witnesses wherever we are put and that you would be glorified for you and you alone are King of kings and Lord of lords. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.